John, how are you doing? Hello, Will. Are you well? Hello. Hello, can you hear me? Will, I've got you. Comms, we're on, we're in. <laughs> Fire Mission Regiment. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Once again, I'm amazed the technology works. With my sausage fingers, it's not always a guarantee, but... <laughs> well, that is technology, Will, and that's that's the way it goes, isn't it? Um, sometimes it works effortlessly, other times it doesn't, um, but we got round it. That's what life's all about, finding compromise. That's what it's all about. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But what I will have to do at some stage is pick your brain about Zoom as well, because... Um, yeah. And I'm sure I can transfer from Zoom to Anchor. Dead easy. Dead easy. Um, we're not, so Zoom Zoom is just a way of obviously recording an audio, downloading it to your PC or laptop, and then you just upload it to your podcast platform, and that will allow you to put it on there, no problem. I will do that. Again, it's just going to be stretching my technical abilities, but <laughs> I'm sure I'll get it done. <laughs> I'm sure. I'll tell you what wouldn't. I tell you what wouldn't stretch my technical abilities. I'm still looking at that picture you posted of the cake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a story behind that cake because um, these things, <laughs> these things are meant to be. Um, why it's fun, why it's sort of um, very important to always do a recce. Um, why a map recce and a, a, either a physical map recce, as in looking at an actual map uh, or a or a 3D map, can never ever be as um, prominent as boots on the ground uh because we, we we did an event yesterday which i want to sort of offer down the line but the actual the actual uh route that we wanted to do and the route we were going to do were two completely different entities so we ended up sort of calling it a day around about 21k um we ended up sort of waiting for a bus getting the bus and then uh i always like to find a, a good um coffee and cake place for one there's two reasons uh obviously caffeine uh picks people up uh sugar is that instant energy so if people are exhausted and people are tired then i know once they leave my adventure they've had caffeine and sugar so i know they've had enough sort of calorie intake and something to pick them up so if they are going to drive home or they have got an onward journey they're not exhausted and i like to sort of leave the leave it on a high so mom so we found that shop yesterday and when I went in and saw the size of the cake portions, I was like, bloody hell. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> line me one of those right up. And she was like, yeah, uh, sh sure thing. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was, it looked as good as it tasted or tasted as good as it looked, whichever way you want to say it. But it was, uh, it was special. Definitely. It's, it, it looks, I mean, that is a pride winning piece of cake. <laughs> <laughs> It'll have to be your image now on the podcast. Is the cake? I'm sure you don't want that. <laughs> no. Um, and as well, someone, someone said to me, "Have you enlarged this in image?" I was like, "No, absolutely not." <laughs> I was like, "That, that was just there was none of this sort of um, thin sliver game going on. Um, it, it, it was just massive pieces of cake." And she said, because it was sort of half three foot, nearly time for closing. She's like. I've just given you this big, massive piece. I was like, oh, well, <laughs> I'm not going to say no. So bring, bring it, bring it on. There is always go in there just for closing time if you want a big bit of cake. <laughs> yeah, well, it, well, it's either that or it's going in the bin. <laughs> so um, waste not, waste not, want not. So no, it was a good, um, it was a good way to uh, finish the day. 
Fantastic. Well, I should, John, I'm not even introduced you yet. I'm sorry. John, welcome to uh, We'll Talk Military. That's fine. Um, many thanks for joining today. And uh, um, again, having looked at a bit of cake, I think <laughs> anyone who loves cake that much is more than welcome on the, uh, on the podcast. But if, tell us a bit about yourself, John. Tell us uh, what you're involved with and what you've been involved with and how you got the cake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no, look, uh, li- life is a cake and um, it's uh, it's sometimes it's hard to earn, but when you do earn it, it's worth it. And it's always good to share it with someone that you like or or, or, or with others. Uh, and sort of I left the army uh, 2011, um, start of, two, well, end of 2011, start of 2012. And I sort of went on a bit of a, a, a bit of a mission to find where I belong in the civilian in the civilian sector, and uh, ended up sort of getting into hiking, and sort of ended up coming with a very very different style of hiking, um, sort of a more robust way of approaching tasks and sort of having you know sort of what would be conventionally a big doubt uh, for a military unit. I sort of changed into sort of civilian sort of speed marching and tabbing. Um, now it's not everyone's piece of cake, but the ones that who the ones who do love it, they absolutely love it. Um, and you know, we've 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 been known to sort of put um, 40, 50, 60 k's to bed in a day. Um, wow. So uh, a piece of cake is uh, is well earned once you sort of uh, have, have clocked those sorts of miles. And um, so I started a company called Robust Tours. And and obviously anyone from a military background will be more than familiar with the word robust. Um, it's probably said in regimental life about a thousand times a day. Um, and I think it sort of um, sets my company aside from other conventional um, walking groups. Uh, and I have a sort of ban on the word walking. One, I find it terribly uninspiring. Um, and uh, two what I do isn't walking. Um, you know, we move, we move, uh, at a pace and, uh, on a bearing with purpose. That's, that's how we, that's how we cut about when we're, we're out and about. Um, and, and like I said, the people who come, uh, I've got like a sort of platoon, platoon sort of strength now of people who come out and they're all, Google home isn't oh. set up yet. Oh, sorry stuck. about that. Google <laughs> home <laughs> kicked in. I'll unplug that. <laughs> well, there you go. Technology. <laughs> Um, Google, we've got to have their say. <laughs> I know Google's Google's always listening. Um, so yeah, the people who come, they're on brand and they love it, and um, it's only growing by the world of social media and and sort of still word of mouth. Uh, Will is is massively important because I find that you know people still now even in in sort of twenty twenty, people are still taking recommendations from word of mouth and saying, oh, my friend told me about you, which I still find sort of incredibly like, wow, um, word of mouth is still king, <laughs> realistically, over, you know, sponsored Google ads and um, other other sort of social media methods. Do, do you think maybe more so? Because I think there's so much noise now on, on social media in general. A genuine word of mouth, a genuine endorsement from someone is, is worth its weight, really, in gold. It's... Uh, I think that's part of the problem. Yeah, the yeah the world's got big, but it's also got small because we've we, we've gone. If you think about it, um, 
sort of with the, the department stores, Woolworths, House of Fraser, um, these big chains that sort of went, oh, we're going to put everything under one roof and we're going to sort of close all the little independents. You know, um, sort of little independents are taking back over, especially where I'm from. Little really good independent small outlets are really, really doing well. And sort of your big chains are struggling. And, and I feel it's the same with social media, that the constant bombardment of sponsored posts and, you know, buy now and da 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 da, da. I think it puts, I think in a way it puts people off and, and they want to sort of, they want to feel a part of something, you know, I can, the, 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 um, the Gone Tabin community is really good. Um, that, that's a really good group. They've got really good engagement. Um, the DevSoc Society, uh, they're, they're another really good group where they're, they're, they're sort of building a community and they don't want, they don't want tens of thousands. They just want the right couple of thousand. Do you know what I mean? To make that, yeah. to make that community strong. Um, and I think that's, that's what's important. Um, you've got to be personal, and you've got to you've got to stand out, and it, and it's that fine balance of finding a way. How do I stand out in all of this um, noise? Now I've got my own language. I use words like mega, Ali. Um, I've got this affinity with um, birds of prey, so eagles and ducks. So like to give my people sort of. Um, a sense of belonging. I, I call anyone who comes out with me eagles, and anyone who doesn't a ducks. And it sort of creates, <laughs> creates an us and them. But that's what we've always been about as a as a race of people. There's always been an us and them. And what you need to do is you need to decide w w where you're going to stand with it and pick a side and say I'm on this side, and this is where I'm going to draw all my support from. And I, I also say, well, you can't win what you can never lose. So by saying I'm not interested in the ducks. They'll never come out with you. They'll never do anything for you. So you can't lose them. So it doesn't matter if you upset them, really. Or they don't like your, your lingo or your ethos or how you, how you go about things. So you just got to pick a side, really, and go for it. That's very true. And I think a lot of people waste their time trying to go after those ducks. And actually, yeah. if you say they're never going to win them, no. and all they're going to do is waste time. And... You end up you end up becoming vanilla and you end up moving off brand and, and I'll say one thing about vanilla. No one really likes vanilla. They'll have it Unless if it's yeah. <laughs> they'll have it if it's there, but you know, I, I never go out on an adventure or go to a, a a place to have something to eat afterwards and think, Oh, I just I could just eat some vanilla ice cream. It's always like I've come for Jaffa Cake ice cream and that's what I really want. And it's important that I think, especially now with people brands, you, you've got to know what you are. And if you're trying to be Mr. Vanilla, Mr. 50-50, Mr. I don't want to upset anyone and I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that. Well, what you'll become is you'll become nothing and you'll just become yeah. another sort of face in the crowd. And, you know, you have to sort of be prepared to for people not to like you. And and I think as soon as you accept that, things can things 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 come very, very easy, very quickly. And I, I'm I'm completely comfortable with it, 100%. And we crave we crave attention from people who we don't know from social media, and I, and it 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 baffles me. I don't chase people that I haven't got. I just keep the ones I have got extremely happy. <laughs> that's that's the ethos. Which is, as you say, is is the essence and always was of a of a really decent small business. Yeah, and it's where you say the high street have made the mistakes because they are kind of all things to all people. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. It's exactly that. They're trying to be, they, they, you can't, 
you can't be everything. It's not it's not possible, you know. Um someone may say to me, Oh, um I've been I've been looking at your walks and I'm like, I don't do walks and I'm quite sort of abrupt with it. And they'll be like, Oh, um seems it seems like you've only got you've got nothing sort of uh, smaller than sort of ten miles and I'm like, No, I don't. Nothing and and and, and I never will. Oh well um it, that's too much for me. Right, well, go away and train harder and come back when you're fitter. And, I, and it, it might seem a little bit sort of abrupt, but it's not for me to come to their level. It's for them to come to mine. And then they can experience a proper adventure. And, and, and the people that come out with me, everyone is of the same mould. Everyone's willing to throw it all in and give it 110% and get around a big day, like, really fast. And then at the end go for a nice coffee and a cake and a chat and a relax because we're all, we're all in the same gang. We're all part of the Eagles crew and it's, that's, that's how we roll. And that's, that's what I wanted to create. So. It is, and it's creating that team yeah. feel that people really love, I guess, and really respond to because you're working together to get something done and then you've earned your cake at the end of it. So you can literally have your cake and eat it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, that's a great, that's a great way to put it. Um, Sort of what what's funny is well is people start adopting you you know it's working because people start adopting your lingo and they don't realise that it's happening but like I I say everything I say I say it for uh, for a reason so you know when I say the word Ali or I say the word Mega or Epic these are all very short words which everyone can sort of remember and they're sort of completely different to a civilian sort of language and. I also use the word either beefer or biffer. Now you'll know from 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 times in the military, it sort of means people who are lacking a little bit of accountability. And I've had people sort of say to me in my group, "Oh, I went out the other week with a couple of biffers," and <laughs> and it sort of it sort of makes me laugh because they've got no connection to the military at all, but they're now using military terms to me, and I think that's brilliant because that means what I'm doing is 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 wearing off. Do you know what I mean? And it's getting, yeah. it's sort of getting into the skin and it's sort of becoming a part of who they are. And sort of, I've got a, a really good guy called John Wilson who sort of, he became a part of the Blend Caffer project um, and he sort of came through social media and he's just embodied it from, from day one. And he's worked so hard to sort of get fitter and be stronger. And he's always thrown himself 1000% into every challenge. And now, he was so I seen him at the weekend just gone and he was like, Oh, um, wife bought me a Yorkshire Free Peaks with another company for uh from for Christmas. Uh it's probably gonna be full of biffers in it. <laughs> and I just like <laughs> and I just laughed and I was like, Yeah, probably will be full of biffers, John, but you just go there there. You just go, mate, and you're representing Team Eagles, so hundred and ten percent. And if there's anyone at the front who's looking for something a bit different, then you can be the front. You can be the recruiting sergeant. You can get them. You can say, "This is where it's at." You know, this is where you need to be if you want a bigger days out than this. So, it's really good. I mean, it takes time to build will, but Rome wasn't built in a day. And all those good sayings. No, it wasn't. And in terms of of people just rocking up, I guess from what you're saying, it's probably not a rocking up type environment. You've got to be switched on, squared away. From the get go, or do you are the people you build up? Are the yeah, um, so like, like I said, sort of everyone who comes out with me, um, sort of I, I, I've either I, I've known them somewhere along the line, um, or or 
they know someone who comes. So everyone's under under the sort of uh, everyone's got an, an idea of how it's going to be now. If I had a complete unknown sort of sign up for a really really tasty event, what I'd do is I'd get in touch with them and I'd say along the lines of, uh, you know, what's your background because you've just signed up for an absolute murder murderer's day out here. Um, are you tasty? Yes or no? Um, and if people come back and say, yeah, I'm tasty, I'll be like, brilliant, see you in the car park. Um, I'll never, I'll give anyone all the time in the world if they're willing to try, but I'll give, I'll give, I won't give you a dot if you, if you've just got excuses and stories. I'm not, I'm not interested in people like that. Uh, and, and, and that being said, I've got some people who aren't very fit, but are willing to give it a thousand percent. And at the moment, I'm, I'm, I'm helping building them up. And I won't let them go on an event that's super tough because I don't want to demoralise them. Do you know what I mean? So I'm sort of, mm. I'm sort of building them up to say, you're now ready to go on this, or you're ready to go on that, but don't don't go on that. And I won't just take money off people. Will you know if someone signs up for something and I'm like that is a million times out of your league, I'll just say that'd be far too hard for you, and you know it'd be a horrific day. So you know, let's, you know, let's, I'll give you your money back and let's have a chat about something that's a little bit more sort of at your level. Like I'm very, very, I'm very, very honest with people. Um, and, and I'm finding now a lot of people, and I don't know where it's come from, but people have gone, people have gone really, really meek and really, really soft. You know, like it, it seems to be harder and harder to find someone who's just prepared to go, oh, it's really tough to out, is it? Right, well, I'll say in the car park because I'm proper tasty. And I, <laughs> You know, I'd love that. I would be like, "Yep, yeah, can't wait to meet this chap or, or this or this lady." But everyone sort of, well, I don't say everyone, but a lot of people sort of like they want the hand holding. Do you know what I mean? They want sort of wrapping in cotton wool. And I'm like, "Well, that isn't life. That's this thing that you want. This protectionism, it won't get you very far in life because end of the day, it, life can just change on you. And if you haven't got the ability to adapt, then." I'm sorry, but you, you you're going to be stuck. You know, um, yeah. all of this sort of safe space and 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 sort of oh, let's all be nice to each other. That's great, and we live in a society where that works. But all you have to do is travel to another part of the world where that's not in play, and you will be really, really, really uncomfortable. Um, uh, sort of military background and stuff. Like I've travelled all around the world, and I've and I've been to some sort of really, really dodgy places, and it's like. I'm I'm glad I'm as robust as I am because without it, God knows I could potentially be in a <laughs> be in a different situation. And um, I say to people, the hardest part of any day is the car park. After that, it's left foot, right foot until it's over. You know, yeah. We we were designed to to do that from from day one, left foot, right foot, move across arduous terrain. We've done that since the dawn of our time, and we'll do that until it's over. But We've just got so wrapped up in uh, this, this, and this. I mean, I'm going on a bit of tangent here, but so what? Um, sort of like the, the I'll use the Yorkshire Three Peaks as a great sort of as a marker. Now, the 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 sort of the history of it was sort of two people back back sort of back in the day. Um, I believe it's sort of World War mid World War One sort of time where two sort of farmhands set out on a bit of a bash to do the Yorkshire Three Peaks. And they got round it in, in, in 12 hours. Now, that's 19, you know, 1913, 1914 time. You know, <laughs> World War I, you know, woolly jumpers and, and sort of big cloggy boots. <laughs> <laughs> and 
and, and that 12 hour rule is still in play now. And I'm like, it's 2020. We've got Gore-Tex this and Permex that and nutrition and sports science and this. And I'm like, and we're still using the gold standard that's been set by two blokes who are probably whatever age they were in the middle of like a, a conflict like that. Um, <laughs> and people are still saying to me, well, 12 hours is a good time. I'm like, well, it was back in 1914, yeah? But it's 2020. We've got all this fancy gear, Fitbits and, and Suntos and, and quick dry clothes and boots that do this and boots that do that. I'm like, you know, I said, I'm sure if you've got a time machine and went back to those blokes and said, guess what? People are still doing the exact same time, <laughs> you know, um, 110 years later. Oh, by the way, it's been completely, you know, man-made paths have been put in as well. That have been like that. Ah, well, I'm disappointed. <laughs> it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think there's talking about fitness and robustness. Yeah, there's there's those people who are, who are what I call very very gym fit, and they are fit and in terms of probably medically they are fit. But I was always fascinated thinking back to military days. Of course, often it was a mix of regular and TA. But there are those people that aren't obviously fit. And they're not kind of, you know, buff athletes. Yeah. But when they're put in the field, they it's probably the wrong phrase to say they sort of animalize. But they, they seem to be able to just dig, dig in and get on with it. And they're not always the people that are obviously cutting about in the car park. As you say, yeah. there's a... There's a different mentality there, and I think that's something that perhaps people perhaps are frightened of. They don't realise that's what they've got to develop. Yeah. And everything around that, too. It's that whole thing of, right, we're here on the map. I'm giving you the map. Take a bearing. We've got to be here in half an hour. Yeah. Over to you. Yeah. That used to scare the hell out of me. It really did. <laughs> I mean... I mean, we used to say, didn't we? I don't know if you've heard this as a military term, but I certainly have. We used to sort of call people... Um, we've got sort of people who we used to call combat pigs. So people who are sort of a little bit sort of rotund and a bit sort of chunky. And I class myself uh, in, in, at certain points in that role as well. But we're just super, super like robust that could put a big Bergen on the back in the field and just go for it and just still keep going for it. And you'd be like, wow, he's a combat pig, that bloke. And, you know, <laughs> give him give him a jimpy with 500 link and all of his own personal kit, and he'd tab it all day and night, or yomp it, whichever one you prefer to say. But, um, yeah, I always say to people, look, robustness and fitness aren't the same thing, because I, I would choose, I would rather be robust over fit, because robust will get you through everything. Fitness will take you so far, and once that your own sort of physical fitness fails you, you know, you, you're sort of out the game. I know loads of people who are physically fit, but the moment it turns ugly, they just haven't got the ability to turn ugly with it and, and really sort of grizz and dig in. They just don't have that ability because they rely on their own personal fitness so much. The moment the screw turns and they're like, oh, I'm uncomfortable now and I'm not used to it. So guess what? See ya. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's definitely an act. It's definitely a thing to be. And, and of course, in the field, that is not always an option. You can't say see you because <laughs> either way you've got a five-hour tab or whatever back to where there's any sort of warmth or shelter um and that's something that i think they can get a lot of people as you were saying before it's when you when you travel the world and realize that the only thing that's gonna sort stuff out is you and there's no resources or infrastructure i remember on the podcast i did with chris i think that's always the biggest shock for people certainly it was for me 
realizing in, in an operational environment that guess what you are the one and your muckers are the ones that are going to get you out of this because there's no one else there and even if they do get to you it will probably be too late so guess what you got to switch on and that was it <laughs> <laughs> was laughing at anything that was those sort of moments are well, they sort the sheep from the goats or the, the eagles from the ducks. Yeah, well, 100% they do. Um, you know, it, it's a very, very sort of reactory skill to be able to adapt and, and sort of on Friday gone, Will, um, me and my business partner, Tom Cockrell, we ran an event in York um, called The Task, which is something that I've gone through in my time in the military and you'll have heard of it where you sort of get met, strip-searched to a point, um, and you're, you, you know, you're dropped off at a certain location and you get given a sort of command task list saying, yeah, complete these, and then we'll see you at RV20. And we, we, we ran that in York on Friday with a company um, and sort of, you know, we met, them at the, the, we met them in York at the park and ride. And, you know, we, we set the scene, I'm, I'm all in black. My, my friend Tom, he's all in black. That's very much the brand. And Tom's like sort of, he he was very nice. Like I, when we started to meet them, Tom was sort of very at the front of it and he was very sort of shaky hands friendly. And I was sort of stood off to the side, just, you know, just sort of like looking at people, but not really saying hello or interacting. And I could already get the feeling that these people were like, right, why isn't that guy like being overly nice to us? Do you know what I mean? Like why isn't he over here tripping over himself? And even that, cause I could feel it even that caused like a little bit of tension and um sort of Tom did his speech about sort of you know today's about this and self-development and blah 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 and I hope you enjoy the day and then he said um now I'm going to hand you over to John and the first thing I said was I hope you all fail and I hope you have a terrible day and I just <laughs> I, honestly I looked at these people and I just seen their faces they were like ah, what did he just say like do you know that like Wow. And I was like, I am going to hunt you all down today and I'm going to make sure that you know I'm there and I'm going to put pressure on you. I'm going to put pressure on you and some of you are going to fail. <laughs> and people are like, that. wow. Classic, Classic DS mind game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And obviously, that's nothing new. That's what happened to me on my full screws carder, Lance Jacks carder, phase one, phase two, all these different full screws, troop sergeants. Sam Majors, all these people who I've met and I've got this sort of the list of people in my mind where I draw off them and think, oh, I remember when he did that. I remember when he did that. And it's like, I'm now, I'm now um, doing it and sort of, um, you know, I was like, right. And I had a list of names and I was like, and I just read the names out like Sarah, Tom, blah, 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 in the car. Um, and they're like, oh, which car? I'm like, well, let's well, let's think about logically. Is it the one I'm stood next to with the door open? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I was sort of really sort of, <laughs> and you know, because what's happening now is you've made them so uncomfortable, and they're now sort of second guessing basic choices. Like, well, it's clearly this car you stood next to with the door open, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, genius. It's the car I'm stood next to with the <laughs> with the door open, and Tom's sort of being the good cop. And then we get them in the car, we blindfold them, we play some sort of, inter you know, like uh, I play very different music to Tom. And then basically we drop them off all over York, get them out of the car, they're blindfolded. And I say, right, in this bag, you have read everything, read everything. Uh, when I pull the bag off your head, 
blah, blah, blah. You're in the game. All the best. Good luck. And like some of them, you know, when I took the bags off the head, they were like rabbit in the headlights. Like, you know, and what I always do is I always sort of like look in the mirror to see out what the, what the first thing they do is. And they, some of them just like some people just stand there and sort of spin. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because they're that, they're that sort of out of it. They're like, I, I just don't know what's going on here. Like, I just don't know. And then the sort of like that fight or flight moment comes in where they're like, right, I've got to get on it. And then an hour later, I'm in, I'm in York and I'm hiding in shops and I'm hiding in the town and I'm taking photos of them as they're walking past me and I'm, and I'm jumping out on them saying, right, what we're doing now? And they're like, well, I'm having trouble with this one. And I'm like, yeah, great story. And I just walk off. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And it's like, oh, right, okay. And then at the end, you know, I was sat in a bus stop, sort of, obviously I'm there as bad cop, but I'm actually doing a sweep as well. Like I'm safety staff, I'm first aid, and, I, and I'm doing a sweep of York. And I'm sort of in the bus stop. And... They've got no money. Well, sorry, they get five pound. That's all they get, five pound. And there's certain items on the list that they have to get. Now, you can buy them items or you can blag them. It's up to you. But it's also about prioritising this money. Now, if it was me, I'd prioritise transport over absolutely everything else. You know, it's no good having the shopping list if you can't get out of where you're supposed to be. If you can't extract yourself out, then what's the point of having a shopping list? But that's for them to work out. And I'm sat in the bus stop two of them are trying to blag getting on the bus and they couldn't and they, and they sort of turn around and I'm sat in the, in the bus stop and I'm, I'm ignoring them. I know they're there, but I'm ignoring them. And then one of them comes over to me and they said, um, uh, we can't get back. And I went, right, so what? <laughs> like, well, we've got to be back for two o'clock. And I was like, well, by my watch, it's quarter past one uh, and it's a man halfway. So uh, stand by, go. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And uh, I just walked off. I just walked off, and then, and then they sort of. I heard one of them say, "Right, we'll have to, we'll have to walk it." Then, and then they started walking it, and then my bus came, and I got on the bus, and then when I got back, they were pulling in in a works van, and obviously the bad cop, good cop things ended now. And I'm like, "Oh, how did you get on? Oh, and um, well, we asked this workman, and he's give us a lift." And I said, "Brilliant, great, great thinking on your feet. That's what it's all about." And then. You know, I go in and I shake everyone's hand and I'm saying, how are you doing? How have you found the day? What have you learned? You know, and oh, oh he's actually all right guy. Do you know what I mean? In that classic sort of defence has come down and it's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Oh, how did you get on with this one? And how did you get around this problem? And, you know, and oh, yeah, no, I saw you and I was laughing and da 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 And like, oh, yeah, I was trying to keep an eye for you all day and I was hiding from you in the shops. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it's what it's all about, but all of them afterwards when we had feedback was saying, I mean, one guy said he's never done anything so out of his own comfort zone. And I thought, wow, people's comfort zones are in a completely different place. Cause I thought myself, what would put me out of my comfort zone? Um, and uh, when I was asked that a long time ago, I was like, well, I have fought the Taliban twice. Um, <laughs> that was, that was fairly out of your comfort zone uh, sort of stuff. But it's funny, isn't it? What, what will put me out of my comfort zone and what puts another individual out of the comfort zone is two completely different places and both of them will cause different reactions. So, um, yeah, that's that's sort of the task. And we run these fear sort of workshops and uh, a sort of civilian card course now as well, um, which is crazy because 
I never believed my troop sergeant when he said to me, well, should I say PTI or, or, or QMSI, see if he's pay a fortune for this. And he's actually right. The, the, the people do pay a lot of money for personal development and sort of, um, you know, um, sort of out your comfort zone sort of stuff. Professional stressing. It's, it's, <laughs> it's funny to say that I, when you were, and I think I think people learn so much from from that technique, and I think the value that they'll have got from what you did um, in New York is is immense. But I was talking with an, um, an old mucker of mine the other day about a particular member of the DF, and we were doing training. <laughs> who we were utterly terrified of. I think I mentioned it on another podcast, but he used exactly the same techniques that, that you did. Yeah, and I remember that there are things I still do now, and I remember <laughs> the other day I was at an airport. And he had, he was absolutely onto everyone about always zipping up your burden, <laughs> always collecting. And I, I went to get a coffee, and I saw that there was a, a a slight gap in the zip, and I thought I can't leave that. And his voice, this is probably, I should probably be getting compensation with. His voice was in my head, yeah. thinking I'd rather lose my place in the queue, yeah, than not zip that that laptop bag up properly and squared away as it should be. Yeah. And once I'd done that, I felt happy and I knew that, that if Corporal, I won't give his name, but yeah. if he, was, if he, was there, he wouldn't have bollocked me. And this is like 20 years yeah. ago. It, it's, it's, you're right. They're these these very sort of alpha... I mean, I never had any female DS or I don't have anything to sort of compare to, but some of the, some of the sort of male characters and... and um, I used to have a, a platoon sergeant in in phase one, it, uh, and it was he was like a monster of a man, and he wasn't with, he wasn't with us for the first four weeks. But the the like the the platoon corporals would speak about him, and I, and it's almost like they created Godzilla in four weeks. And I was like, oh, he'll be back, he'll be back week five, week five, day one, he's back, block inspection. And I remember this man like he come in sort of. Um, number two trousers, brown shirt, short sleeve, um, peak, peak cap, medals, um, piercing stick. And I just remember being like, looking at him thinking, where, where does this man grow? Like, I've never seen a man like this. Like, I've never, and this is as a young boy, as in like, run recruit, just staring at this monstrous man and thinking, my God, <laughs> like, what? And he always morning troops, and I and I, that's why I always say my post troops because that's that's the impression that he left on me in the early two thousands. Morning troops, and he just like and then he come in and he was just like a whirlwind, you know, like that. What's your name? And you just I mean, he, when you forget your own name, I mean, <laughs> that's when you know, don't you? Like that's when you know I'm out my comfort zone here and. You're right. These these characters, you know, you with this Bergen and this zip, you were like, I've got to get that Bergen squared away because I tell you what, and I know it might be twenty years, but Corporal so and so, he'll be somewhere, he'll be onto it, and <laughs> and he'll be over. So right, who's who's left this undone? Because next time it's a submarine hatch. I mean, that was a classic, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the sub, <laughs> the submarine. Well, who's this Bergen? This zip top top zips open. My mind bomber there. Yeah, next time it'll be a submarine match. Well done. Killed everyone on board. Um, right, cheers. <laughs> it, it, do you know, and, and the funny thing about it is that those guys, I remember there was a, we, 
this is TA training, so it's very different and probably a lot more laid back. But this particular DS, he was that sort of DS that, that you might be a little bit tired and you think, you know what, I'll, I'll just won't do. And you think he's not around. And then you just hear his voice and you think, it's three in the morning. Why are you standing next to me? How could you do that? Yeah. You'd just be on to everyone all the time. And I, it's a, yeah, it's a fascinating phenomenon. As you say, you, you just think they must, they must store these guys away until yeah. you meet them in a different military sphere. And they're there, you know, and you, you suddenly think, hang on a second, you're a human being. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you, you've got, you've got, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. And, and I suppose in a way, like I'm leaving my impression on, on these people like now, but it's, it's how it's how it it's how it needs to be and sort of I, I was asked about military training not so long ago and I was like um well I said there's a fine line between bullying and character building and I said and, and I don't know where the line begins and ends I said but there is a very very fine line and I said at the end of the day we forget what the role of a British soldier or a Royal Marine or whatever you join is and that is to find close in and kill the enemy I was like Forget windsurfing and, and rock climbing and, and all of that carry on and getting your class one license. I was like, these they're all other things. At the end of the day, your trade is soldier first and trade second. And I was like, so I said, was the times in phase one where I was probably bullied? Probably yes. Probably that's probably what happened. But did this did it did it did that's what it need to be? Yes, because I was, you know, Herrick was coming. I didn't know it at the time because I didn't, I didn't even know of Afghanistan. But that tour was always coming, and I thank every single one of the DS I've ever met for making it as hard and as uncomfortable as it was, because it's probably one of the reasons why I got through my Herrick, well, two Herricks as a lance jack and as a full screw, two very different roles. But it's because of the men that I met in those training that. Depots and and the and the pressure and the stress that they put me under, which forged me to become, you know, a, a good soldier. And I don't like where it's going at the moment. You know, we mm. we're doing ourselves no favors because somewhere somewhere down the line, a big conflict is coming, and I would rather have a load of, again, robust, awesome trained soldiers, marines, airmen, sailors, ready to go, ready to face it. Than a load of people who are, you know, I've never been shouted at before. Like, it, it doesn't do you no favors when the bombs and the bullets start flying and people start getting killed. That's, you know, that's the harsh reality of it. Because the enemy are the worst bullies. Exactly. You know, that, that's the problem. It's, and it's, as you were talking about before with, um, with the robust activities, yeah. It, it's that whole thing of, Yep, you've done a whole day's tabbing, but guess what? Because something's gone wrong, you're going to have to do another 12 hours tabbing and you've just got to get on with it. And there can't be any doubt. And it's that pressure that you put on people in training, yeah. in the activities that you run, that give people the ability to go, no, we've got to do it. I mean, just got to do it now. And any lack of on the gas from a military perspective on that is just not going to make a robust force in my view. No, I, I'm not an expert at all, but I just know from my own heart that that's what had to be tested in training. It has yeah. to be. It, and this sort of, um, like I watched, uh, I mean, we're probably, 
equipment wise now we're really really we, you know we've got awesome equipment we we really have got awesome equipment um which hasn't always been the case but one thing that we always had is we were always super super disciplined and the british soldier was so adverse to many many different areas of combat that he could adapt and make use of what he had um you know and I mean, if you go back, it's a bit of a forgotten war, and I don't really know why, but the Falklands, like, you know, talk about robustness. We travelled across the ocean <laughs> to an island, lost all of our helicopter fleet, and someone said, well, how are we getting there? And then someone else said, well, we're going to use the black taxis, and we're just going to yomp it across the entire... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? We're going to yomp it across what can only be described as horrific terrain. And then and then in the morning, we're going to fight a, a dug-in, well-established, well supported, well 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 stocked army, uh, and not only that, but we'll defeat him. <laughs> I mean, that in itself is truly, truly unbelievable. I mean, I, you know, to try and recreate that now would just be, you know, if you could recreate that as an event, right? We're going to get on a on a on a boat in Southampton, then we're going to travel all the way to the Argent to to um, the Falklands, get off. Come under, come under attack by um, fighter planes, get off onto a beachhead, get 40, 50, 60 pounds worth of equipment on your back. Uh, then it's going to chuck down all night. By the way, you've got diarrhea and sickness. Uh, and then we're going to yomp over, you know, that sort of terrain. Oh, and then we're going to fight a dug in enemy. Uh, it's 350 quid, lads, who's, who's signing up. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> no one is the answer, but those blokes were. Enemy. Those blokes went for the, for the for the you know the pri regimental pride and and the fact that they were elite British forces and you know absolute hats off to every single one of them because that for me that is a pinnacle of robustness that right there is an absolute pinnacle of endurance robustness those men and you know who went over there and did that. I, I wouldn't want to face them now. You could give him equipment from the 80s and we could have equipment from now and I still wouldn't want to face them because equipment can't ever, ever match well-trained, well-motivated individuals. It just can't. No, and I think that's something which... Um, it must be a worry for those doing the training. It must be awful for people who've perhaps seen the migration of training from being what you'd understand it to be yeah. as robust and, and with purpose to being what it is now where I, I suspect they're trying to keep the ethos there but it's can you keep the ethos with sort of okay well if you're not feeling too good have a sit down <laughs> okay, you know, all of that it, it's fear it's at basic training that, that instills all sorts of things into you and it brings you everyone together as well yeah yeah and, and uh, sort of another aspect of that is that and I always remember my, uh, my platoon corporal sort of saying Sorry, my section corporal sort of saying, when you lot start working together as a team, no matter what I do, I can never defeat the team because I am one man. At the moment, I've got every one of you because you're just individuals. But when every single person starts pulling together, I can't beat you because you can just, just you just you'll just be an unstoppable machine. And he, and he was completely right. The moment that it clicked in, and everyone stopped out being for out being for themselves. And everyone started squaring each other away and helping each other out. We, we had him licked. We had him licked from about week eight onwards because we, we finally got it. Once I got my kit sorted, 
if Lado next to me hadn't, I then went and helped him. Then we got sorted. Then we went and helped someone else. And everyone was the same. And when, when, the, when, when the next day come round, he, 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 there was nothing to pick up because what he wanted to see, he wanted to see everyone working together. And then once that happened, he was completely right. An individual can never outdo a team. Never. Not possible. And I think that's what Tivy Street forget. And I think yeah. that's what Tivy wants from veteran involvement. I guess in, in your when you do the tours, that's yeah. what you're trying to build into people is the fact that often companies may think they have teams and we've got a great team or yeah. whatever, but what they're not doing is working together in quite the way they want to. Yeah. But what you give people is the ability to see how you get to that sort of military style team where you really are pulling for other people. I know it can never be like the military per se, but at least if there's an element of understanding that in order to really achieve as a team, everyone needs to be helping each other out. It's not individual. Yeah, no, um, 100%. And sort of, it's it's a great sense of achievement. I've got some really, really tough challenges. Some some a legacy that have sort of gone on forever and, and a few that I've sort of created myself. And to see the achievement on people's faces, I mean... Something that I do up here, which is really, really tough, is called the Lightwake Walk. Now, that's not my name of the event. That's the legacy of the name. Um, but it's a 40-miler, and it and it's a sort of uh, east to west um, pilgrimage across the North Yorkshire Moors. Now, the first 20-mile of it is is sort of really, really sort of up and down and hilly. Um, and the second half is sort of undulating, but nowhere near as hilly. But it just feels like you're going through the same field for 20 miles, like because the scenery is the same, and there's no sort of breaks in scenery. It, it, it's like a psychological breaker that I think I've, you know, it's like it's got long, long sections where you think, does this path even ever end? And then the finish line, you can sort of see the finish on a on a distant hilltop, and you think, right, I'm not going to look at it for an hour, and then I look at it again in an hour, and then you look at it again, you think, I think I might actually be further away. <laughs> <laughs> and it's psychologically weird. And sort of the last time I took a group on it, they, they built such a great camaraderie that when they all completed it, you know, when you get people like crying at the end of an event, not, not because they're in agony, because they've achieved something that they thought they'd never be able to achieve. And that sense of like, wow, I've just done 40 miles in a day. And, you know, sometimes I think from a military point of view, sometimes I sort of get, ex-military lads, paras, marines, infantiers saying to me, that's not a good time. I'm like, you've but you've got to put it in the concept, mate. These are just normal, everyday people who have normal, everyday jobs who didn't go through what we've gone through. So you can't judge them on the same standard. To them, it's huge. So never never take away someone's achievement. Do you know what I mean? If they do, if they do a 40 miler in 17 hours, it's great achievement. Doesn't matter if the Royal Marines do thirty mile in eight hours. These people aren't Royal Marines, and they haven't spent um, x amount of time down at a training establishment, getting beasted day in day out, getting physically fit to do that challenge. They've got normal jobs. They go to the gym three times a week. They've got a social life. They might do a five k or park run, and for them to take on a challenge like that and complete it in seventeen hours, eighteen hours is massive. Do you know what I mean? To to to, to keep going that length of distance I mean 40 miles in, in a day is absolutely you know it's, it, I, I'll admit it it's a big day <laughs> it's, a big, it's a big day out 
It, it is, and, and and I think, I mean, I, I am speaking from memory here, but uh, there's a mate of mine, uh, talking about pilgrimages, we, for years, we talked about walking from centre of London to Canterbury. Oh, wow. Um, which, you know, is, is the classic Chaucer, Canterbury Tale Pilgrims run. Right. And, um, yeah, I, I, this was at a stage in life, maybe six or seven years ago, where I thought, yeah, I'm reasonably fit. And wasn't really training very much. And my mate I did it with, who has always maintained his fitness, even outside of the military, he sort of did look me up and down at the beginning going, it's going to be a really tough day. Will. I'm like, no, it's it's flat. Like, the way will be fine. And there's only a bit of a hill. And huh. by about three quarters of the way through the day, it was that thing of, I was basically just staring at his Bergen <laughs> and thinking, just got to keep that in sight. And I could see he was slowing down. Yeah, day one, I was absolutely threaded. And I was, hey, I was very ashamed of myself because I realized I was sort of letting him down because I wasn't fit as I thought he was. Yeah. I thought I was. Um, but the other thing was, I just, I was thinking, my God, 10 years ago, I could have just done this and it would have been fun. And now my feet are burning. My, you know, yeah, that was, that was a real lesson for me that I need mm. to re engage in my fitness. Otherwise, I was going to be a very, fat middle-aged man <laughs> fair enough <laughs> but yeah it it's not easy if you've not been doing the training to to, to do the miles even if you previous life you've done it before it's amazing how the body is quite unforgiving like that yeah <laughs> we can get comfortable too quickly you can indeed you can indeed there's a there's a well did, the two things did it for me in the end it was it was that um and then there was a wedding video where I thought, who's that jumping around in the? And then it was me. It was me. And I thought, oh my word, is that what I really look like? And it was. It really was. It was a moment of. of <laughs> yeah. Shame. Well, again, again, uh, you know, well, accountability. Um, another thing that we sort of we push here is accountability, and um, it's okay to fail as long as you, you as long as you admit that you that you failed and you take ownership of the failure. Like I'm. Um, I got keeping on what we're talking about here with a like way. The last time I did it, a girl who's been out with me loads this year, really fit, just for some reason, psychologically, just from the start, wasn't with it. And at 25 miles, she just looked at me and said, John, I'm not, I'm just, I'm just not with it today. I'm not going to continue. But okay, no problem, mate. In, 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 in the safety vehicle, please. Um, afterwards, next day, I'm, you know, I'm disgusted in myself. I'm pissed off, blah, blah, blah. Um, when you're running it again, I'm like 11th of April. She's like, I'm in, I'm signing up, I'm done. Uh, and you know, she accepted, she accepted it. She, she, and she, she committed again. And that's, that's brilliant. Something's beat you. Don't make stories up about it. Don't lie and say, oh, well, what it was is da 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 And <laughs> just admit it. It was a lot harder than I thought. Um, and kick my ass, but since that moment, I've been training, and now I'm coming back. You know, there's there's too many people out there who tell stories, and and don't take ownership. Um, there was a lady who was who sort of failed the national three peaks, and she sort of came to me and said, "Oh, um, could you help me train for the national three peaks?" And I'm like, "Well, yeah, you know what what went on last time, and it was." Well, what it was, blah blah blah, and I, and and I and I did two out of three, and I was like, well, we call that failure, 
no, no, I didn't fail. I did two out of three. I'm like, yeah, but the challenge isn't two out of three. The challenge is three out of three under 24 hours. Yeah, but what it was on the last one, I was like, look, if you're not prepared to accept the fact that you failed, then we can't we can't go forward because you haven't accepted the fact that you failed. So therefore, you, you won't accept your shortcomings. And therefore, two or three weeks time, when I'm telling you, no, we are going up another hill, you'll be like, oh, I don't need to. Uh, and I'm not going to. So go and find someone else is the answer. Because I'm not, you've got to accept it, Will, haven't you? You've got to say, I have failed because of me, not because of anything else, me. And once you do that, once there's only you to blame for all your shortcomings, you stop looking for people to blame and you're like, it always lies with me. And I win on I win I win on my own and I lose on my own and I accept the the harsh realities of it. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we, we pulled out of yesterday early. We just want I was like, said to my partner, 21 kill do want it. She's like, Yeah, let's get the bus. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And <laughs> It's just one of those things. We just weren't feeling, you know, a, a 35k plus day and we just pulled the pin. Um, accept it. Brilliant. Guess what? It's still there. I could still go back next week and do it. Um, but I accepted that yesterday we didn't didn't go to plan as I planned it and I, and I take full ownership of it. And, uh, you know, you move forward. There's no telling stories. It's just, yeah, we set out to do this. It didn't happen. Bosh, on to the next, on to the next task. And I think that's something, again, that you can teach people through the robust tools is, is that personal honesty side of things. Because it's, it's it, thinking about the old Matt's, Hester, you know, the yeah. personal integrity. It's all about it. You, that happened because you did this or, you know, it's it's owning what you did. Yeah. And, and that is part of leadership as well. And I, I think a lot of people, you, you realise now that, that people have always got a story. That yeah, you know, it, 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 you know, I could say though it wasn't. Well, what happened was, you know, I could have said to me on that walk to Canterbury, I said, well, you know, I fell over and a load of cake fell in my mouth, yeah. and then I just, kept it and, <laughs> I just yeah. kept drinking cans of coke. I couldn't stop. And yeah, I, I, I know that it's a, it's a very difficult balance between being understanding and letting people get away with their own bullshit. To put it frank. Yeah, yeah, frank. absolutely. And. Um, it's it's very easy for people to slip into that, and particularly if they're allowed to slip into it, you know. Oh, there's a there's a reason why that that uh, you know that happened, and you're like, okay, and yeah, it's it's a it's a slippery slope in there. You you know, well, um, another thing that I'm a part of, we're a part of this thing called an accountability tribe. Um, I think there's ten ten of us, there's ten of us in it, and we we set personal goals, business goals, um. And every sort of, we have accountability partners and every week we sort of meet via, you know, whatever, Zoom, coffee shop, wherever, and we say, right, what have you achieved this week? What haven't you achieved? And every every sort of um, third month, we meet all of us in one place and then we sort of, you know, we put it all on the table. Now, I'm not being that guy at the, at the second meeting, <laughs> turning up and someone saying, right, John, uh, you said this, this and this. Where, where are we today? Um, well, I've put half a stone on. I haven't done any of that, and I haven't done this, and I haven't done that. Um, stories, you know, and it, there's a some someone who I know has decided they've gone, they've gone, they, they've been in this constant flux of weight. Oh, I'm losing weight, blah blah blah. 
and they've gone vegan for January. And I just said, don't go vegan for January. Just go consistency forever. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's Again, it's that people looking for a fad. Oh, I've gone vegan. Well, I've got some bad news for you. If you eat more, more red peppers than you burn, you're going to put weight on. It don't matter what it is. It's about yeah. calories in versus calories out. It's not about what type of food it is. It's about the amount you eat. Don't you don't you understand that? If you ate a thousand bananas, you would put weight on. It doesn't matter if it's you know, and, and and again it's like, no, no, it's because I've had loads of chocolate and you know, if I just yeah, but if you eat just as many red peppers in calories as there is chocolate, then you're gonna put weight on. No, no, you won't. No, you will. Everything has got everything has got some sort of calorie bar and water, everything has got some sort of calorie value. This is what you understand. And and the problem is is consistency is not a great hashtag, but veganary, that's a great hashtag. And loads of people again, we we're in this hunt for likes and comments and oh you're doing amazing hun hugs, lols and all that. That that's what they want. More than losing the weight and more than being consistent. That's what they want. They want their they want the notification and, and the sort of pats on the backs from people who they don't know. Like, well, you know, you, you you have a big Christmas, you put a bit of timber on. Don't make a big deal of it. Just think, oh, I've put a bit of timber on, I'll just uh, you know, I'll just cut back for a few months and just train a bit harder. Like <laughs> you don't have to make a big thing of it and tell the whole world, oh, hashtag new me, hashtag twenty twenty, hashtag vegan me. Just turn the page, will you? Do you know what I mean? Just turn the page. It's I get it's part of a part and parcel of the modern era is that people are looking for something and looking for the easy routes. Looking for a route that they don't have to, to put a lot of time and effort into. But the reality is, I mean, I, and again, sorry, I'm not making this all about me, but no, when, no. I, when I saw that wedding video and I checked, I've I will dig it out again occasionally. Um <laughs> it, it it took a it took a fair old. I had to, ended up losing twenty kilos. It took wow, a fair blah, blah. Time. But it, it it's um it just and it was exactly as you said. And in fact, the same guy that did the uh, did the Canterbury walk with, he said, "Look, because I did the whole. Oh, I'm going to eat this special yeah. concoction. Or whatever, and it's going to happen." And he's like, well, "What are you talking about? Just eat less." Exactly as you said, yeah. eat less and exercise, and it will. It will balance itself out, and sure enough, yeah, did what he said. <laughs> every, you know, it's every month two kilos are coming up. It's always two kilos every yeah. month, and just got down to what I used to be in the days when I could jump around at a wedding. <laughs> and, <laughs> it, 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 there was no fashion food in it. It was just get on and do the work, lose the weight, and balanced diet. You know. Don't fill the plate when you don't need to. You're not doing a job where you need five thousand calories a day. You're doing two thousand or whatever. But and and again, like that's that's that is the point right there. Um, it's in. It always has been in versus out, and people don't people don't get it. People have. I'm cutting out carbs. I'm cutting out this. I'm cutting out that. And it's like, cool. What's your daily intake of calories? I don't know. Right, so, <laughs> so, how do you know? How do you know? You know, are you getting enough protein? Your fiber? I'm no sort of sports scientist, but I understand the basics. Your body needs, you know, some key ingredients, and then if you're trying to lose weight, eat 500 calories less a day. If you want to gain weight, 
500 more. If you want to maintain, eat the same. It's like basics, yeah. but because that's bit, that's a little bit boring and it doesn't really make a great hashtag, it's like, oh, no, I've gone vegan, I've gone Piscopalian, I've gone carb-free, I've gone gluten-free, I've gone... You've gone everything free, apart from bullshit free. Do you know what I mean? Like that's <laughs> that's where that's where we at. Give, give up, and give up the bullshit. Give up the bullshit and, and save the money as well, because a lot of these foods are expensive, and and uh, you know there's a whole issue around how much food costs. But if yeah. a, if people eat a balanced diet and eat what they need, then I guess by definition you can get food. But that's the thing. I, I think as you look at it as a society. Um, I'm not um, sort of the, on on the whole sort of vegan issue. Like, I get it. We definitely consume far too much meat now. And what what marketing companies and and food companies have done, they've taken an animal like a cow and they've gone, right? How do we make this glamorous and make it into like a product? And and actually, we've moved away from a living being. So, we, we you know we we we've de sort of animalized the animal. And we don't feel as bad when we eat it. Um, and sort of in the in the forties, the thirties, fifties, we probably we did eat a lot less sort of meat. But um, sort of we had more veg, you know, and it wasn't really such a bit a big thing. But because of all the fast food chains, um, you know, the Big Mac and 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 all these other sorts of fast food outlets, it's just so so much easier to consume meat. And what we've done is we've tra- we've changed the process, um, which is a you know let's be let's be, let's call it what it is. We something is born so we can kill it to eat it. It is a very barbaric um, way, way of doing business. But um, and and what we've done is we've put that on an industrial level now because we consume that much extra meat, chicken, fish, pork, etc. It's now on this industrial level slaughter where before it might have been sort of a little bit sort of more. Uh, as an acceptable rate, and I had a conversation with a vegan about it, saying, um, I, "I agree, we we eat too much meat, but on the same hand, what you're suggesting is that everyone just stops eating meat, like as of tomorrow." I was like, "Do you know what that would do to the world's economy?" <laughs> I'm like, you th- "You're talking about Brexit being bad for for Britain. If everyone just stopped eating meat tomorrow, the world's economy would just just plummet. Just vets, hauliers." Um, abattoir, um, farming, feed, like the knock-on effect of it would just be absolutely catastrophic. Fast food and just like, so we've built a monster and you couldn't just deconstruct it in a day, could you? You're talking generationally. It would take a long time to sort of reduce what we eat now, meat-wise, fish, etc. You know, and going more plant-based. I just can't see it going that way because one there's too much money for it and there's just too much demand it's and and it's it's that kind of gentler approach to solutions that is is i think again it's a bit like the diet side of things and knee jerk i'm going to eat this i'm going to eat that yeah you can't have knee jerk when there's a great level of investment where as you say it's part of the infrastructure yeah um no i think there's a I think I think common sense will prevail, but the problem is the people that shout the loudest are the mm. ones that get heard, and particularly in the media, there's all the latest fads coming out with ideas, with ideas for that. Whereas the right thing to do, as you say, is just to balance things out. And yeah. 
that's where the, the issues are. It's about balance. And um and, and it's fit, and, and it's the that. thing of like it's the thing of um I mean I in, again in my time in the army we, we have called like chickens and rabbits as part of sort of courses. So I'm I'm not being a hypocrite. Like I've done it, it's not a nice process. And if I had to do it all the time, would I eat would I eat less meat? Yeah. If if tonight I had to go outside and slaughter a cow for a steak, I'm, I might be thinking, do you know what? I think I fancy um, a veggie stir fry. Do, do you know what I'm saying? But I'm sure, um, you know, we've had that we've had that taken away from us. That you know, catch it, kill it, cull it, and then eat it. That's been removed. So therefore, it's become very, very, very convenient. Um, I don't think personally, I'd never give up meat. Um, and I always sort of try and um, support British farmers and and sort of um, dairy dairy. And I've got a lot of friends who, who sort of work on farms, and and you know it's 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 a much bigger it's a much bigger uh, sort of concern. But it's where people, you know, the militant sort of side of this vegan argument for me drives like a again. It's like it's that thing of if we point at you and tell you that you're bad. You, will make you change your mind instead of actually coming up with real argument or real debate, which will gradually make you think, yeah, maybe he's got his point. But if you just sort of constantly point the finger saying, you murder animals, you're evil, that's never gonna that's never gonna change people's minds because they're just gonna think, well, f you, just gonna carry on doing it. You know. Well, it's, it's not historically accurate either. I mean, if you any archaeological site globally whether it's humans, whether it be from 2,000 years ago or 500 years ago, what they would find in these sites, animal bones. Mm. Now, that's not to say they're farming animals on a massive industrial basis like they are now, yeah. but what it says is that animal meat has always been part of the human diet, whether yeah. it be in South America or whether it be in Milton Keynes in 1540 yeah. or <laughs> yeah. whatever it was. You know, it's, it's always been part of the diet. When they found that ice man in in the Alps, you know, they discovered he'd had, you know, he'd got meat cleaning implements and they wow. find flint for that. And, you know, it's, it's part of our human history and therefore it's, it is, we are omnivores now. Yeah. It's, they were probably, you know, they only lived to about, but certainly in those days, I think they lived to, to probably 50, 60 was top whack, but yeah, you know, that was partly because they didn't have the medicines and whatever yeah. that we have now, but, certainly meat with part of their diet and it gave them the energy they needed and balance with vegetables and everything else. That's a, that's a great point. And that's a thing they said there were omnivores. I mean, when people say, Oh, well, we're not carnivores. Well, no, but we are omnivores. We, we do eat both. Um, and it's, it, yeah, you know, like if the Iceman was having, um, whatever he was having back in the day, then yeah, we, we, we certainly have been designed to eat, consume meat as well as well, vegetables and, and, and fish and other, other stuff. We're, we're the greatest sort of scavenger hunter that's ever lived. And that's what we do. That's, that's why we are where we are in the sort of food chain and in the evolution chain, because, you know, we, we can think we create tools, we create shelter. We, and, and all we've done there is every time a generation has gone up and new technologies got involved, we've just got smarter and smarter and smarter and, you know, that's why we are where we are because we've evolution, we've evolved to a point. Absolutely. And and I think um, certainly something I was thinking of the other day, and it's it way, way before your time, but the BBC in 1978, a fantastic documentary called uh, Connection. 
And it was done by a guy called James Burke, who was, I think he's still alive now. He's probably quite an old boy, but a very eminent scientist who, who did exactly what you said. He took the earliest known implements that man had put together and he showed how, why people develop writing, why people develop farming, what it meant in terms of planning families, growing societies. He takes it and every week there's a different theme. And um, I got it on DVD because I remember as a very young boy watching it and thinking, wow. And a few years ago, thanks to good old Amazon, it popped up. And I thought, wow, I watched this again. And what it shows is, is that the first episode really takes you through the whole how fragile society is and Mm. how much we rely on technology. Um, And it's interesting. I was thinking about, I mentioned the Iceman just now, and I think that a lot of people imagine that, that, oh, you know, if you live off the land and you don't eat what you grow and all this sort of stuff, that life is so much better. Well, guess what it wasn't? And people didn't live very long. Yeah. And not only that, but they, they were pretty violent because they had to fight over resources. And the Iceman, when they found, I don't know whether you know the story of the Iceman. No, no. They found this pretty, it was about 20 years ago. They found right on the border of France, uh, Italy, and uh, Germany, I think it was, they found a frozen body. Wow. And initially, the climbers who found him thought they'd found a climber who died. Oh, really? Climbing bodies because it was so well preserved in, in yeah. the night. When they did an autopsy, they were like, hang on a second, <laughs> this guy didn't die recently. They then did a, a carbon dating test and discovered it was a 5,000-year-old body. Wow. Um, subsequent to that, there was a whole international dispute because he was literally on the border of Italy, Germany, and France. Right. And I think in the end, the countries agreed to share the research into the body. Now, they found all sorts of interesting things like his tools. They found implements that clearly they didn't realize people had in Europe 5,000 years ago. Wow. But when they came to assess why he'd died, and, and some people said, oh, he'd gone there for spiritual reasons and he died. <laughs> and when they did the CAT scan on him, they discovered that one of the reasons he died was because he got an arrow back. Oh, wow. And I found, I thought, this is going to make me sound pretty twisted on the podcast now, but... <laughs> I took great comfort from that, not for him, no. even though he's 5,000 years ago, but because I thought, there you go, you see. Everyone goes on about, oh, you know, they really cared for the environment in those days. and <laughs> they were. No, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and someone fired an arrow into his back. Yeah. Yeah. Stop. Again. So, yeah. The, nothing changes. He, <laughs> yeah, no, like, he, he was in the Blue Jumpers, and he ended up in the Red Jumpers gang, and, and someone said, we're not having this, and it killed him. That's, yeah. you know, and... If anyone believes that they back then was like this great sort of time to be alive, or they would swap from living now to living then, they're absolute. That you know that is absolutely out there thinking because that we we wouldn't have been at the top of the food chain then. You know we would have there'd have been animals then um, that were more than capable and would have actively hunted us. Um, you know, it. You know, it's. Uh, it would have been a hard. It would have been a hard life. It would, you know. I think even things like the common cold. Imagine having the common cold. I mean, people go the way. I mean, I've just had it there for two weeks and sort of felt like I was going to die. Um, so now I've had all of the sort of over-the-counter ailments. Can you imagine having like the flu or the common cold back in the old caveman days? God, it must have been absolutely horrific. I mean, again though, 
I bet their immune system was really, really tough because obviously coming in contact with disease and, you know, all the rest of it, walking around barefoot or whatever they used to do. Um, again, we have sort of become a little bit too soft, as in, you know, we, 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 create, a, we create clothing and safety equipment. And really what we do is we, we weaken our own immune system because we're becoming less and less in contact with these viruses. And then when they do get a hold of us, case in point, as we speak, the coronavirus is about to end world civilization as we know it. Um, people are having a meltdown about that and it's you know it, it'll just be another thing won't it it'll just be another article in a newspaper in, in six months time and we'll be saying oh remember that that was all that was a fuss about nothing um, <laughs> but yeah it's, no you're absolutely right it's it's. I think and again it's back to robustness I mean yeah. if it's I mean I didn't realise that that because uh, you, you associate an area with kind of tropical virus but Parts of the UK, I think right up until the sort of 18th, 19th century, I think, I think Norfolk and Suffolk and places, and marshlands, had, were, were, suffered from malaria. I didn't wow. realise it, um, it could be other than, but, you know, we managed to eradicate that. But, you know, the people had to contend with all sorts of crazy stuff. You know, the, the plague, the Black Death, that wiped out two-thirds of the population. Yeah, that was a, you know, yeah, that was a, that was a serious... Um, that was a serious uh, disease, the old Black Death. Um, but again, we, we 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 got better and better, didn't we? You know, we 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 had these problems, and then we created the we created solutions all the time. Either protective equipment, drugs, medicines, procedures, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but we we adapt, but also viruses obviously adapt because it's this constant battle, isn't it, between viruses and and, and immune systems and 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 all, and all the rest of it so yeah no it's a, yeah. it's an interesting topic um but you're right it about the ice man he, he it would have been a violent time to to be alive back then there's no there's no guarantee there's no getting away from it you know i was up in Banbury yesterday um <laughs> you know would you want it to be one of the monks on linda's fan back in the day when the vikings first showed up no thanks um <laughs> uh, that would have been uh, certainly a robust bit of going on there with the old vikings showing up and uh having the way with all the monks and sort of pillaging the whole of England uh, for a good for a good period of time. That would have been a, a tasty time to be alive. It's, you know, the British history is, is full it's of... Violent. Is, 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 that is the answer. It is violent from, from our... Towton, is it Towton in Yorkshire? 22,000 in a day? Wow. Um, the... Battle of Flodden, just in the borders of Scotland, that was fifteen thousand in wow. two hours. Wow! It's, I always, I always say to people, "Gosh, we're getting very political." Like we did on the, <laughs> on the call we did before the podcast. But I always say to people, you know, if you look at the oh, history, it, it's it, it's violent. I mean, if you think to give it a context, Battle of Flodden, English versus the Scots. Yeah. The is that is that the Robert the Bruce? Is that when we faced Robert the Bruce in Galloway and we got beaten there? No, this is this is much later. I oh, think it's really? Wow. Sort of 1500s, I think. I think it wow. was sort of Henry VIII. Wow. Because um, the Scots had some artillery. They'd got they bought some artillery from the French, yeah. and they had it up in the hill, but I don't think they deployed it very well. But um, they say that 15,000 died on that day. Wow. They always say with medieval battles and early modern battles, you can halve the number of dead. So right. let's say there are 7,000 dead. Now, I was having this conversation with someone else about 
just how vicious Britain is or was. Yeah. Bearing in mind, yeah, there were a few people with muskets and there were a few artillery pieces, but in reality, most people were fighting farmed. Yeah. Between the Scots and the and the English, the conservative estimate of 7,000 people in a few hours. Now, you think doing that with farm tools, basically one-on-one, crushed together. Yeah. You know in those sort of things that, that people would be pretty knackered pretty quickly. So what drives that? Hate drives that. Yeah. And, the, the, you know, it, there's there were some fairly nasty times in this country. And if you think, very sadly, only 20 years ago, the Serbs in Srebrenica, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, it took them four days to murder 7,000 Muslims yeah. um, with RPGs, AK-47s, and the Scots and the English managed to murder 7,000 or kill 7,000 of each other in the space of a few hours on a, on a, on a slippery that's, that's what we've done to ourselves. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know. Obviously, being down in York, Jorvik, um on Friday, that's got you know from the Romans. You know, that's got a massive history of violence. Um, you only have to go into the dungeons and the torture devices that we created <laughs> to, to to you know to sort of to see what we've been capable of as as a race. And unfortunately, since since day one. We have, we have been violent. We and we are violent, and we are violent now to these days. And um, I think, you know, I think it, it is uh, just what we do as a, a as a race. We have, we are a violent race. Um, and you, you're right. I mean, fighting a medieval battle like that um, with swords and, and axes and clubs, um, no one died a nice death there. No one died a quick painless death there I mean it must have been absolutely horrific to witness and to be a part of um, and to even survive something like that um, you know you didn't walk off the battlefield and go that was a bit of a big day out wasn't it that was a bit of a tasty one um, you know talk about sort of PTSD and, and that that was that would have been the original PTSD sort of surviving a, a battle where 7,000 people got slaughtered around you and you managed somehow by hook or by crook to walk off that battlefield maybe physically uninjured, but I guarantee you mentally you're an absolute mess inside because I don't think we can compute the violence. We might be able to dish it out, but we certainly can't. You know, a, a lion a lion may kill a buffalo or, or, or a wildebeest or whatever, but doesn't it doesn't then go back to its its sort of pride and, and sort of, you know, get upset or, or, or fret about it or worry about it or, you know, that's what it's meant to do. I don't think we are. I think, you know, we've, we're too logical. And when we do acts of violence like that, I think it really affects us mentally. And I think that's why a lot of people sort of suffer when they've come back from tour duties and wars, because we're just not meant to see that sort of violence. It's, it's a, and I think it, it's something that I guess makes us, literally separates us from the animals. Yeah. That empathy. That, yeah. Is that feeling. But it's, it's an interesting, I mean, it is an interesting thing about violence in society because, again, going with one of my terrible tangents. Sorry about it. All right. <laughs> but um, um, it's it's interesting how uh, I guess there must be there must have been levels of tolerance of violence that we just couldn't understand. I, yeah. I was 
I was having this conversation with someone else, and it's a, another rather morbid question, but when do you think the last person to be hung, drawn, and quartered publicly in the UK was? Well, I'd, well, I'd like to think... I'd like, I don't know, that's a good question. I mean, I'd hope it was the medieval times, but I dare say the Tudors were still doing it. Um, I, I can go scary on you. It was after Waterloo. Oh, wow. was, <laughs> Waterloo, well... I, I believe, and someone may correct me on this, but I believe the last person to be publicly hung, drawn and quartered was a man uh, called uh, Jeremiah Brandreth. Wow. And uh, I, I don't believe, I don't know whether he's any relation to Giles Brandreth. He might be. Um, and that was in Derby wow. in 1817. And, 1817, um, wow. And if you think, my granddad was born just down the road from Derby um, in 1904. He's no longer with us. But yeah. He, he, I'm, I'm, I remember when I found this fact out and my rather, I think it was one of my sort of when I was about 14, 15 and when you're reading those sort of books yeah, on torture. Yeah. Um, I remember thinking, crikey, that means it's, it's not inconceivable that my granddad as a little boy might have met someone yeah, who, who could have been at that public hand drawing and court. Yeah, that wow. Scary. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a, yeah, this is what I mean. I mean, sort of... T- it's one thing to want to kill someone, but like that to hung drone quarter someone that isn't just killing them. That is like horrifically killing them. That's, you know, that's again, and we've created these horrific ways of torturing people to death, which is like, well, where's that come from then? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that's, that's, you know, cre- creative, creative um, ways of getting rid of people. And, and, um, you know, I just watched again, uh, the other day, uh, obviously, 75 years um, liberation, sort of uh, the Jewish sort of uh, Holocaust and, and sort of the concentration camps. And, I mean, <laughs> my granddad liberated, was 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 in a tank crew that liberated a, 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 a concentration camp. And I remember my granddad. <laughs> and let's talk about, you know, things that we've done to each other, horrific war crimes against fellow human beings. That's up there, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? That, like that's up there with everything that's ever gone on. And well, I remember my granddad, <laughs> so it's yeah. you know, it, and and there's still stuff going on now that you think, wow, how is this still a thing in in 2020 or 2019 or or whatever? It's and it's that's one of the things I think doesn't quite put it in the context of the violence of it, but that's one of the things I think in that James Burke connections. Uh, that's still available, I think, on Amazon. Yeah, um, is that shows that it's a very thin veil between what is considered to be sort of a, a functioning society to stuff going really, really wrong. And yeah, yeah. I think when we spoke before, there was and, and probably guys that you serve with who'd done former Yugoslavia would be able to yeah. say, you know, that it it doesn't take much for a pretty um, mechanized society to start getting pretty medieval. And you'd have seen it in yeah. Afghanistan, how quickly situations can get to the point where people are pretty vicious, pretty frightening, pretty nasty. Oh, hundred um, percent, yeah, definitely. Um, that's that's and 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 as well, I would say, sort of where we were in Afghanistan, um, they want where we are in the West, and what shocks us in the West doesn't shock them. Do you know what I mean? And and sort of the things that they did, you know, you'd be like, well, I can't believe they just done that. Um, <laughs> You know, that's, and as well, you know, um, I, I sort of did Belize. I lived in Belize as a, 
as one of my sort of postings. And even Belize, there was always people getting murdered in Belize City and sort of the islands. And it's like, and it was just such a, so so and so got murdered. All oh, right. Oh, wow. And it's like, what's for tea? <laughs> it's like, it, it just becomes so matter of fact. And what, you know, what shocks, what shocks us, you know, in other parts of the world is just day to day life. Um, it's true. I mean, I, I, I remember this from, uh, and tell, tell me the shadow if I told you this on the last call we had. But no. um, I remember um, we were in Trinidad. And Trinidad's a, it's in many ways it's a lovely place, but there are certain parts of Trinidad you've got to be careful. very, very careful. And um, and in some parts there's an incredible murder rate. And my wife and her friend wanted to go to a specific post office, and I think it was it was supposed something back. And it was one of these things I kept saying, "Do we need to do this?" <laughs> we arrived, we arrived in the area, and again, I'm not saying this is hyper vigilance or anything like that. But I have to say, I did, there was a little bit of me that thought, we parked up and I thought, right, there's no one on the streets. I don't like the atmospherics. I don't think you should go to the post office. Yeah, part of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And like my uh, wife and her friend were like, oh, don't be, don't be ridiculous, will you? Being silly. And I'm like, no, I don't like the area. I think this is not a nice area. We ought to just park this one and move on. Anyway, they... <laughs> I'm going to say to pull to the post office, they, they amb- bimble to the post office. And the moment they'd done that, I thought, right, we're getting dicked now. Uh, yeah. I can tell you. And I, I, I thought, I don't have any, I thought, I went through everything in my head. It's, it sounds sad to say, I thought, I don't have any calls with another mobile phone. So I started calling them and I had the engine running in the car and they were like taking too much, too much time. They, they got in the car, they didn't actually take that long. And off we went and they were like, oh, you're being silly and why are you... Sp-? And I thought, okay, okay, we do. Anyway, that evening, um, we were just having a chat and then some of the neighbours came over in a completely different part of Trinidad and said, what did we do today? I said, oh, we drove such and such. And the guy went, you drove there? I said, yeah, we were going to the post office. He was like, gee, I guess, oh, no. Shouldn't have gone there. Don't do that again. Do not do that again, please. And I was like, oh... And I, I thought, yep. Yeah. A, I should have trusted my gut. And B, people have got to be aware that there are parts of the world where... You can't just go wandering. Yeah. You've got to be situationally aware. And I worry about these people that go backpacking and they go bimbling around and they don't realise that, that people, you know, I like that guy's watch. He did get it off of me if he's dead. He's dead. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Uh, no, you, you, you're right. Um, in Belize, when I sort of, I was very lucky I got posted to Belize as the admin NCO on um, St. George's Key. Great, absolute great experience. And because of the British Army sort of connection in Belize City and the amount of money that we started to bring to the economy and, you know, we never caused any sort of issue, we sort of could get around Belize, no problem. And I thought Belize was a great place, but I, I, I understood there were streets in Belize City that under no circumstances do you just go and stroll down. Um, and sort of one time I um, went to a place across the border called Chatamal in Mexico and I sort of got, you know, got the bus there. <laughs> but then I sort of got there and I thought, I'm in, like, I, I didn't go sort of 
wearing loads of flashy clothes. Like I'd never go out wearing flashy clothes because I, I didn't want to. Like, obviously, I was white, so straight away you draw attention to yourself there because obviously you're not you're not indigenous. So straight away you're like, oh, the you know where's he from? Is he American? Americans have money. So I quickly sort of dressed down a little bit, um, and straight away so I've got to the bus station, straight into a taxi. Already done my research where I wanted to stay. You know, wrote it down. Can you take me to this hotel? Obviously, the guy spoke very, very little English, but he knew the hotel. Took me to the hotel, checked in, and there was a big, large mall in Chattamal. And I just literally went to the mall and just walked around the mall all day. And um, because I thought this isn't the place for a guy just to go wandering around Chattamal. Do you know what I mean? This is not the place where you yeah. just go. I'm not in tourist Mexico. This isn't tourist Mexico. This is a proper Mexican place, as in where you know there isn't other tourists there. And I'm sticking out like a sore thumb. So I want to be somewhere that's ultra, like ultra visible all day long with a high police presence, AKA the mall. <laughs> and that's, that's what I did. I just went around the mall all day and did, did loads of shopping, had some food, went to the cinema, you know, I had a few drinks in a bar and then got my taxi and went back to, went back to my room and that was it. And then got back on the bus um, and came back. Cause I thought, you don't just start going out on the, on the drink down Chatham Mall town. Um, <laughs> Because you you end up you end up missing and no one yeah. ever finds you ever again. And at the end of the day, um, it's that thing, isn't it? You put you can put yourself in danger by making stupid decisions. Um, the honey trap, remember that one? Uh, that was a classic sort of. If it looks too good to be true, it is. Um, don't 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 be fooled. And it's like it's the oldest trick in the book, the honey trap, right? No, I'm not I'm not falling for that. Um, Back, back to the room, back to safety. Uh, lock the door. Good night. See you in the morning. And uh, you're right. It, you know these things. It's, it's how you. It's how you act and how you go on. Um, I never ever got like hammered. Like some people would get hammered drunk, and I'd be like, "This ain't the place to get hammered drunk." <laughs> Not at all. It's, it, again, mentioning dear old Joe Rogan again. Yeah. I don't know whether you saw a few weeks back. There was he had a really interesting guest on who. Um, had been part of a, a Mexican police unit, wow. and, and I think now, I think now he advises the U.S. side on on Mexico. And I thought one of the interesting little factoids that he came out with was that um, when I think when he was, I'll have to watch it again, but I think when he was going over helping U.S. Um, assets in Mexico, um, one of the things he had to do was be insured. I think he was. Um, as I say, working with one of the government agencies, but as a sort of private contractor, I think I must get that right. But I think that was something like that. Anyway, um, he was told that statistically, actually, he'd have been safer off in Iraq or Afghanistan than wow. he would have been in Mexico. And his point was that, you know, the US quite rightly has been um, defending itself by deploying in Iraq and Afghanistan. And yes, that's complex issues and what have you. But one of the things he mentioned was that in terms of loss of life, yeah, I think statistically Mexico is a more dangerous place than, than Afghanistan. And actually, he described his police service in in, um, in Mexico and pretty much in the same sort of tone as you describe an operation tour. In fact, I think all the time mm. they were deployed operationally. They didn't deploy as you know Bobby on the beat. They can't. They have to be out there in in yeah. force. Um, and you know, in, in a sense, patrolling as as you would do in a coin operation. Yeah. Um, 
And I guess, yeah, I mean, people forget that Mexico, I know not all of Mexico, it can't be all of Mexico, but it's it's a dangerous old place and you were quite right to stick to the shop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, and you know where it comes from? Again, it comes from um, my first tour of duty in, in Northern Ireland, um, setting patterns, pattern of life, um, knowing that everyone's not your friend, the, the, you know, the honey trap, um, all of this sort of stuff. Like as a young 19-year-old lad, this is how the IRA are going to try and catch you out. This is how they're going to try and keep distract you. This is what they're going to try and do. And all those sort of life lessons, it's the same It's the same thing. And, and obviously, I grew up on a council estate, so you know, I'm, I'm, I was a little bit sort of street savvy. Anyway, and then you sort of go on a tour like that. And okay, Northern Ireland was certainly nowhere near what it was, but the same, the same training and the same professionalism was 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 told here about, um, you know, you know, uh, if it looks safe, if you feel like you're being watched, you definitely are. Watch out for dickers. Um, be spatially aware. Be situationally aware. Don't don't put yourself in a situation like all of these things. You can go out there and travel the world, yes, but just remember, not everyone is on your time. Not everyone is on your side, and not everyone wants to see you do well. So just be aware that. You know, there's someone out there who's thinking, "Oh yeah, who's that then? I wonder if he's got money on him." And oh, I like that watch. And 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 you're very right. Um, you know, I never felt great experience going to Chatamal. Um, but again, looking back, I went on my own. Probably wasn't the greatest of moves. Should have went with someone else. Um, but I did leave a sort of itinerary with my uh, with my boss at the time, saying, "This is the bus. This is where I'm staying. And this is what I'm planning to do. If I don't come back." Uh, at least we can sort of have some sort of search, but staying visible in the mall, security cameras, shop shop CCTV, police, you know. Um, but basically, you, you, you're buying yourself time. That's what you're doing. You're making you you you're leaving a digital footprint of of your movements. Um, I remember even doing things like not taking money out before I got to Mexico, but taking it out in the mall. So there was a transaction on my card. Do you know what I mean? So like, the, the, if something did happen. Well, money came out at this time at this ATM. So you leave like a digital footprint. Um, They've got dates and times. Yeah, there's there's, there's like a, you know, and you've got, um, is it, I don't know if it's bad that we have to do this, but I know like sort of other places where I've gone, um, it, it certainly set me up where I thought myself, am I in a situation here where, which I don't want to be in? Do you know what I mean? And, 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 and Early on in the military career, like they're doing the Northern Islands, the Dicker, partner life, um, that person over there is someone being overly friendly to you. What's the motive? You know, all of this sort of stuff. It's like, it happens. And uh, I don't want to wake up in a bath with a sign saying we've we've removed your kidneys. <laughs> and and people may think, well, that's a bit extreme, but it goes on. It does go. It does go on, and the world is a dangerous place. Not that you shouldn't go out there and enjoy it. But you should definitely be, you know, street smart and have have something about you. And and I think it's it goes back to what we were saying before about I, you know, atmospherics and and yeah. learning your animal instincts again without without sounding too sort of hippie about it. I do, the one thing I do agree with is, is perhaps we've lost the ability to to recognise our senses. One of the things I guess that, that people listening to this and yourself, you know, who, who've been on tours. It's one of the things you do develop, and I. Th- there is a weird thing where, uh, whether it's an animal thing or whether it's an experience or a combination of the two, that, 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 that something tells you right this area is bad. Yeah, I don't like it. Yeah, and 
more often than not, it might not be something kinetic, but you just would, yeah, it wouldn't be a good play. And I, I th there is something to that. There's obviously some hunter-gatherer sense that is there in us. You know, I'm talking about Joe Rogan again now. He's always yeah. about hunter-gatherer stuff. But it, there is something in us. And if you ignore that or try and say, oh, you're just being, you're being unkind and these people just need understanding. Well, yeah, but maybe not on your own and maybe in a more controlled environment. Yeah, we... If no, no, I, I agree. And, and sort of... We, we, we run a, a fear workshop where we talk about fear and, and what it is. And, and, and we had someone sort of create this really great content where we sort of talks about fear as being this sixth sense, this sort of back from the days where we wore the caveman and we wore top of the food chain and we went somewhere and we thought, hang on, don't feel right this. There's something, there's something here that's either laying in an ambush for me or I'm being stalked and I need to be, you know, I need to be ready. It's either fight or flight. And you're right. You get this sort of tense energy, don't you? Where something just feels off, and you're like, you know, you just sort of start thinking, "What's going on here? Then am I am I going into a trap?" Or, or you know, you know, in, in all of your senses, just seem to become more and more aware of your surroundings. And then before you know it, you know, oh wow, that's happened, and now I'm I'm reacting like this. So yeah, no, it's definitely something from back in the day, like when we, you know, when we this whole fear of like, oh, you act differently, don't you, when you're scared or when you're frightened, like you get very different feelings in your body. You, you do, and, I, and, I, and it's all necessary. You know, it's your body preparing itself. And and it, 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 I, I think it was certainly for people traveling and things, they should never ignore that. I remember, you know, that feeling, as I say, by the by the post office. And, and again, it... it I, I'm glad I was wrong in the sense that nothing happened, but I could tell that on another day it might have been very different. And and you know, I I know my wife said that the guy in the post office, I think he he almost told them, You guys ought to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> uh. it, it, it was it was one of those silly situations to get up into. But again, it's it's about preparation and situational awareness and, and one of the great luxuries we have is that, you know, you can if you know you want to go to York for the day, you can wander around, or you want to go. So it's you know, stuff doesn't have to be planned, or you don't need the intel to make sure that there isn't anything bad going on. I remember another time in Trinidad, we were, and again, this was me being a sort of uh, uh, an absolute head in the clouds idiot. Um, we we went up to this promontory point to look at a beautiful coastline. It was in the jungle, and there were there were all sorts of stuff, and. Uh, um, we were, we were just stood there and just wondering it all. It was very, very beautiful. And then this group of runners came along and they sort of stood around us. And it was obviously had some sort of security with them. And uh, they said, what are you doing here? And we're like, oh, well, you know, we're just, just looking at the sea and it's beautiful up here. And we said, yeah, yeah, it is. And they said, it's going to be dark in 20 minutes. So you're coming down the hill with us. And we're like, well, no, we'll, we'll walk down. We know the way. No, no. <laughs> you're coming down the hill with us. And it was only on the way down that we sort of found out that, that basically once it's dark and you're in that, mm. there's, there's been a lot of bad stuff happening and, and it wouldn't be a good idea to, to hang around there. And I suddenly thought, yeah, we didn't have any maps. <laughs> we didn't really know where we were. We didn't have any, we didn't have any mobile phones in us. In fact, we were, we were setting ourselves up for disaster, oh. even if someone had just slipped. Yeah, you know, or, you know, stupid me. You know, once again, different 
different stupid me not dancing around with 20 extra kilos at a wedding but <laughs> standing around in a jungle that was about to go dark and with with no comms not even a torch ridiculous and yeah and, and you've got to be very situationally aware in these things definitely and whose fault would it have been it wouldn't have been the jungle because the jungle's just doing what the jungle does you know what i mean like, absolutely there's there's people you know whenever sort of Whenever I hear someone that's like, oh, there's been a shark attack and they're going to go looking for the shark, I'm like, I think, well, well, the shark didn't come in the guy's house, do you know what I mean, and attack him in his bedroom. Like, the, the guy was in the water. The, the guy put himself in a situation to be attacked. Like, it's tragic that someone's been killed, but end of the day, a wild animal or, or whatever is doing what it's been programmed to do, and it's because we've put ourselves in this situation. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's always a tragedy when someone dies, but you're going to go surfing. Guess what? Sharks in the water. You're going in the water. Sharks in the water. It's, it's, you know, if there's ever a shark attack on a the beach, then I'll be like, wow, that shark's crazy. But, you know, it's just doing what nature's programmed it to do. And if you want to go surfing, then, it, you know, you, you, you run the risk. And, you know, when you did that in the jungle, if something had happened to you, it's not the jungle's fault. Jungle's just doing what the jungle does. It's, you know, and this is what I say to people all the time, accountability, ownership. You know, when there's people, a big bugbear of mine, um, will is people when they go hiking or or go hill walking or whatever they do, and they end up getting rescued by a mountain rescue, and it's like, I always like to know the facts, like how how did this happen? Because you don't start out in the car park lost, you know, you don't get to Keswick and think I am completely lost and I haven't got a clue. There's always like um. And like a snowball going down a hill, isn't it? Like it, it picks up pace. So every decision you make, should I turn left? Should I turn right? Or oh, turn right? Or oh, am I getting more lost now or less lost? And then before you know it, you know, you're on the side of some mountain somewhere and, it's in, and you're freezing cold and you haven't got enough gear. And you're thinking, oh, no, uh, I'm going to have to form Mountain Rescue. And you form Mountain Rescue and they come out and rescue you. And then everyone says, oh, our Mountain Rescue brilliant. And yeah, they are brilliant. But then the end of the day, that, that person they've put themselves in that situation. Um, and it can happen to anyone. Great mountaineers have got injured and, and, and all the rest of it, but they've had the equipment and they've had the skills to survive. Like I come across people in, in sort of shorts and T-shirts going up Scarfell Pike just because it's sunny in the car park, guys and girls, doesn't mean that the weather at the summit's going to be the same. And then people get lost all the time and people sort of don't you know wear their own equipment and someone ends up getting hypothermia and all the rest of it and it's like you you know self-preservation you are responsible for, for what you do now i could i could in the next whatever call out mount rescue for myself yeah but there's one thing i guarantee you everything that i carry it'll 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 buy me time it will buy me time shelter extra clothing extra food ability to to drink water basic first aid kit all of this stuff buys me time, buys me an extra half an hour, an hour, two hours, three hours, four hours, which will, which will give Mountain Rescue and people like that more time to find me. That's what you do. You buy yourself time. Um, and people don't do that in any situation. They don't buy themselves time. They, 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 they make rash decisions. And unfortunately, you end up getting yourself into a situation which you can't get out of. And then, you know, it's unfortunate, but nature and the world takes you away and that's that's how it goes isn't it 
It is. No, it's interesting. I mean, the accountability side of things is interesting. It's it, it, different attitudes towards that. You're another one of my tangential stories. You, you reminded me of a time um, here in Poland when uh, there's, a, there's a local park near us, and um, we were walking through the park, wife and I, and there was a we, we could hear someone shouting in English, "Help! Help!" And yeah. You sort of thing. We think, "Oh, right, okay, okay." And um, it was a guy running over to us. He was a he was a young student from the Netherlands, and um, he was very distressed. And he said he'd found someone lying in the park. Anyway, we went over, and it was quite. It, it was a bloke dressed normally, but yeah. he was just pissed. He was drunk, yeah, and really drunk. And uh, the, the the Netherlands dude was saying, you know, oh, we've got to help him, got to help him. And and what was interesting was the the attitude of the locals. Although I should sort of consider myself a local. Yeah, yeah. This is a few years ago. <laughs> um, kind of, uh, what are you doing? The guy's drunk. Yeah, yeah, but we've got to help him. And they were like, no, no, hang on a second. D- did you make him drink? Yeah. Well, no, I believe we found him. Well, then it, it, he's done it to himself, hasn't he? <laughs> anyway, the, and, and this is not a down on anyone from the Netherlands. Just This guy happened to be from the Netherlands. Yeah. And he, he, he called... Called emergency stuff, and my wife was like, "Oh, don't do that. It's not the same here." And sure enough, a couple of paramedics turn up with all the gear, very well equipped and whatever. And they looked at him and just looked up and said, "Who called us?" And <laughs> my wife was doing the translation at this stage, saying, "Oh, it's this lad here. He's drunk." <laughs> and he said, "And the paramedic said, do you realise now that there might be someone in an RTA or whatever?'" Yeah who we can't get to because this guy decided to drink a bottle of vodka at lunchtime. Do you realise that? Yeah. This poor guy was like, I was just trying to help him. <laughs> anyway, they, they shoved him in the back of the ambulance and off they went. But they weren't too and, much pleased. Well, they weren't too pleased. And uh, there, was a, there, <laughs> there was an old boy laughing as the van, as the, van, as the ambulance drove off. And um, he, he, he could speak English as well. And I said to him, why, why, why are you laughing? And he goes, I'm just wondering whether they will slow down when they, before they push him out the back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure yes. I done that at all. That's not, I'm Polish ambulance people are like that, but it, it was a, I thought, right attitude. The guy's just pissed. Yeah. And right, it's unpleasant to have him in the park, but he's taking up resources that actually might be needed for something genuinely serious. Yeah. Someone who's not self-inflicted. I don't need, they don't need to be done. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's, it's a fair one. And, uh, you know, you, you talk about that accountability thing. I remember last year when I was over by um, Helvellyn and I, I was coming down Helvellyn and I saw um, sort of a group of people stood around near the, near sort of uh, uh, someone sitting down on the floor and I sort of turned up there and, uh, you know, obviously empathy. Oh, hi, what's the problem? And uh, one of the women said, oh, uh, my friend's not feeling very well. And I sort of looked at her and I could sort of see, I was like, red, it was a red hot day. And I was like, have you got a cap? No, no, I haven't got a cap. Have you got sunglasses? No, I haven't got sunglasses. And I sort of looked at a little backpack and I was like, well, there isn't a two-litre camel back in there. Um, so I thought, well, I know what this is, dehydration, and there's a little bit of a heat injury going on here. Um, and I was like, you know, det- detective work, um, you know, sort of. Uh, I went and got some water, uh, drink this. Um, here's some uh, here's some, sun- some suntan cream. Um you say, I think, oh, yeah, I've got a headache. Right, okay, well, I can't give you any paracetamol, but if I put these paracetamol next to your foot um, and you just happen to see them, then uh, <laughs> maybe maybe, maybe you take two. Um, and uh, 
you know, we 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 sort of walk you down, and then and then she sort of, you know, she's she's struggling, but she's got you know the very very start of a of what potentially would be a serious heat heat injury. Um, and then someone said to me, "Oh, she got heat exhaustion." And I'm like, "I'm not I'm not a doctor. I don't know what she's got. All I can tell you is she's got some some type of heat injury." That that's you know when you start I'm not diagnosing her I'm not a doctor no. but she hasn't drank enough water and her eyes aren't protected from the sun she hasn't got any sun cream on um so there's definitely a heat injury involved somewhere along the lines and we need to get her out of the sun uh, and she needs to sort of get a bit of um you know medical attention and then it turns out that she was taking these tablets um don't remember what they were but she said oh, I've been t- I should be taking my tablets and I'm out of sync by two hours and I was like oh where are your tablets. Oh, they're in my tent. And I was like, well, what's your tent? Yeah, it's like so-and-so, which was like four Ks away. And I'm like, yeah. again, again, you've put yourself, and it's very harsh, but you've put yourself here in a position where you've come out without enough food, enough water, no shelter, no no eye protection, no cap, no sun cream, and you've left your medication. Like how many, how many things, how many, how how do you want to stack the cards against yourself? Because this is what you've done. <laughs> You've stacked the cards against yourself and gone. I'm going to go out and uh, turn this into the worst day of my life because, you know, oh, it's too hot for me. Well, but you can do things to prevent heat injury. You know, it's not. You haven't took the basic steps to have a good day. Now we're going to have to call out Mount Rescue because of your lack of accountability. And I said to her, seven P's, and she like to a friend, and she was like, seven please. I was like, yeah, prior planning prevents piss poor performance. <laughs> and she's like, "All oh, right, we'll remember that." And like, someone was sort of saying, "Well, it can happen to all of us." And I was like, well, "It won't ever happen to me." And I don't mean that in an arrogant way, but I check my kit religiously. Do you know what I mean? And I've got enough about me to think, you know, oh, where's me? Oh, uh, me, me, me medication that I have to take every day, two hours every day. Oh, I've left it in the tent. Like, <laughs> you, you, the moment you notice you haven't got your medication that you must take, then you say, "Oh, I don't believe it." Right, turn around, I've got to go back and get my medication. Not, oh, well, I'm sure I'll be all right and crack on. Because <laughs> you know because you know that's not the case. But yeah, people, for some reason, you know, don't take accountability of themselves and don't think, I need this and I need this and I need this. Um, and then just crack on and end up having a nightmare and end up causing, you know, an unnecessary call-out, which is basically what it is. It's an unnecessary call-out down to bad admin. I think that's fairly harsh, but... Um, again, going back to uh, our DS conversation, I remember getting beasted in a river in Northampton, um, and getting at, and getting really bad cramp and sort of cramping up in my legs, and um, it, you know, obviously cramping up and shouting ah cramp, and the and the DS sort of guy saying what's wrong with you, and I said oh, I've got cramp stuff, and he said bad admin, eat more salt, <laughs> bad admin, <laughs> eat more salt, <laughs> nothing to do with the fact I'd been in a river for half an hour scrambling through a river. But it was bad admin on me because I'd had enough salt in the diet. It's like, well, the ultimate accountability lesson. <laughs> but I've always remembered it, and I always clearly remember him saying that. And every time someone gets cramped now, I say, "Bad admin, eat more salt." Even though I know it's a little bit sort of more complex than that, and it's a bit of a sort of tongue-in-cheek comment. But again, there's things that we can do. You should always have self-preservation. You know what I mean? And, and if it does go massively wrong. You've bought yourself time. You've bought yourself time for the emergency services or whoever to get to you to pull you right out of the shit. But if you haven't even given yourself a chance, then they'll never find you. you. They'll never get to you. 
you're literally reducing time yeah. in every sense of the word. Yeah. It's, 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 I mean, as you all know, I mean, that the, 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 both heat and cold can do for you very, very quickly, you know, whether it be a heart attack or hypothermia or whatever it may be. 100%. It doesn't take much. No, it, it, it doesn't take much. And um, sort of a, we went to a tub car last year, um, Morocco, and we, you know, we set out that morning at uh, 3, 3, 3 a.m. Uh, I think the wind chill was something like minus, minus 13, minus 14. And it was really, really precarious. And sort of everything becomes a task. So drinking out your water bottle becomes a task because you've got an inner set of gloves, an outer set of gloves, or your jackets are done up, or your zips are done up, your water bottle's inside your bergen. You know, everything becomes a little bit more harder. But if you lose a glove, you're losing fingers. <laughs> and that's the way to think about it. So your admin has to be on the ball at all times. Otherwise, you put yourself in a position, potentially, which could be life, uh, life-changing life injuries, or, or worse, death, due to bad admin. <laughs> and that's, you know, that, that's what it comes down to. It's, it's it's very scary how things can turn on just the, the little little things. But as you say, it's it's all about the preparation, which I guess bringing it back to what you do from robust tours is, yeah. is actually a little bit of making sure that people are aware of that as well. You know, yeah. that it's not just stepping on. It's making sure that everyone's got their kit, making sure that everyone else knows that everyone else has got the kit and where it is. You know, it's that... It's always that burden packing thing, isn't it? Of making sure you know that everyone's got their water here. Yeah, everyone's everyone's poncho is here. Yeah, so that you know you can just get yourself squared away or someone else squared away really quickly. Yeah, you know, you know, well, sort of at like the weekend on Sunday, we we were coming up with a new route over in the Northumberland, um, over in the Chevelets, and we sort of come down um to a ford. Now on the map, it just says ford. And when we got there, I sort of did like a quick visual recce. I tried to find a place to cross up and down and I couldn't. It was sort of fast flowing and I thought, it's going to have to be this ford. And the only problem is, is it'll be higher than the gators. Um, and we've got at least nine Ks to get back to the car. Now, do I want my do I want wet feet and wet boots for them nine Ks? Well, do you know what? No, I don't because actually I don't know it's going to be nine Ks because something else could go wrong. So I need to try and keep myself as dry kit and equipment as I can until I know I'm back in that car park and it's job done so classic army I always carry spare socks and a towel and talc because the British army does everything on talc foo-foo powder and I was with my partner was with me and she's like what we're going to do and I was like right it's socks and shoes off um it's boots inside your bag um and I had like hiking poles and I said what we're going to do is pull pull your trousers up over your knees and we'll wade through barefoot get to the other side, dry our feet off, talc, socks and shoes back on. I said, and then we'll pick up the pace, have have a hot drink, eat some food, and we'll move really fast to get that blood circulating through the feet again. And that's what we did. And we didn't, you know, dry, and within sort of 30 minutes, feet were, you know, blood was flowing again. And I mean, it was cold, don't get me wrong, going through that water with bare feet, it was cold. But you can dry your feet and they dry again. And... Skin is waterproof. The old, the old classic saying, skin is waterproof. And that's what we did because it's admin in the field. We were confronted by a situation that caused me to think of like, right, okay, how am I going to do this? Bosh. Right, that's how we do it. Over the other side, talc, socks, dry feet, boots back on, bit of food, hot drink, get moving, get the blood circulating again. 
and we're good to go. We're not we're not yomping back with with soaking boots and socks, thinking oh it's only nine k. When realistically you don't know it's going to be nine k because actually it could get lost, someone could fall, someone could break something, the weather could change. You know, there's so many different variables. So you so I always think I've got to be as good as I was when I left the car park as when I got back to the car park minus any food I've eaten or any 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 water I've consumed. But certainly not turning back up with wet feet and thinking, I think you know, that's just not the way. This that's just not the way it's going to be. So it's that thing. It's about making that right decision. Yeah, yeah. And then going through. So yeah, that was a very wide. um, Yeah, because otherwise I could just see the 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 best case scenario is morale going through the floor with wet boots and socks straight away. Yeah, but worst case, I mean, freezing feet. It gets dark. It's yeah, yeah that's. And obviously, you went. We went through it, the Ford, and it was like it was bitterly cold on our feet. But we had bitterly cold feet for maximum twenty seconds. If we'd have got boots wet, we'd have had our feet wet for two and a half, three hours. <laughs> so, it's you know, it's weighing up the, it's weighing up what you have to do. Now, some people might say, well, you could have turned around and found another route and all this and all that. But at the end of the day, it. You, we can second guess ourselves and we can go, oh, well, I could have done this and I could have done that. Yeah, I could have stayed in bed and ate Cheetos as well. But <laughs> this is adventure. And sometimes it throws up things at you and you've got to think, am I carrying what I need to carry to complete the task in hand? And the answer was, yeah. And I've done that loads of times where I thought, don't want to get my boots wet. I don't, my gate doesn't want to hold up to that much water. Um, and I think it might go higher than the gator. So guess what? Boots and socks off, trousers to the knees, wade through it. It's a Ford, so the bottom's been sort of, you know, um, well sort of rounded out. So you're not going across big jaggedy rocks and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then you take your time with your pole and you're using your pole to prod and feel. And then you're thinking, as soon as I get over that side, off, towel out, talc out, dry your feet, socks on, boots back on, twig, um, wiggle your toes and get moving again. And then, you're, you know, you're good to go. And uh, that that's the right way to go about it. Absolutely no, and again that morale perspective, you know, within twenty minutes everyone's back to normal jogging again. And yeah. so, <laughs> not, not jogging, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's 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 really it's really really fascinating talking to you because I think it's I, I I love that idea of the whole um, robust nature of what you're doing, particularly understanding that from having been. Um, having having a stage in my life when not being robust and let myself go <laughs> literally and realizing that it's it's important both for physical fitness and for mental fitness to to get back to that so no i think what you're doing is fantastic i really do well yeah and, and th- this is it um we're gonna we're gonna keep on we're gonna keep on doing it we're supposed to have an adventure this weekend um and prior planning prevents um, the weather forecast for the UK over the weekend is is horrific. Now I don't mind horrific, um, but it's about making choices as well. And uh, I think we're currently looking at the, the route we we're going to do is um, fifty mile an hour winds, which um, isn't isn't what I want to bingo in. So at the moment I'm keeping one eye on the on all the weather apps, and and predominantly that's why sort of people people don't pay me to take them walking, not at all people are more than capable to pick up a map and, and follow a route. They pay me for my expertise and my skills and, and the sort of the way I approach the situation and, and the sort of community level I'm bringing. Uh, 
and 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 they trust the decisions that I make and sort of uh gonna I've been updating the group today and the WhatsApp messages saying, look guys, uh as it stands, we're we're out the door, zero eight hundred hours. However, there's a weather warning in place for high winds. Now rain I can handle because it's just a case of Gary Gore-Tex, but wind, fifty mile an hour, potentially someone could easily be blown over. Well, more than that is extremely strong wind, so that is a potential risk of life. Um, you know, you could be blown over and blown down and blown over and break something. It might be an unnecessary risk to take. Now, if you're out and about and these things happen, then you have to deal with it and, and come up with a, a plan. But to... I will. We we we, uh, we went over the two-hour slot. <laughs> we did. We've exceeded our. <laughs> our expectations <laughs> no, we will have to do a little bit of editing now but uh, yeah look uh, it's uh, it's been a cracker thanks very much for having me having me come on not at all no it's been a real pleasure and um, many many thanks it was some some great insights there into and, and reminders for me about about um, robust walking because that's yeah. something I I really want to get back into because it's a it's also Again, we could go off for another two hours now, but <laughs> it's a great way of staying fit because it's a nice rhythm to it, and it just—it's stamina, it's muscles, everything. It's—I um, I, I would say it's um, a robust adventure. Is low impact. Uh, you can cover big distances, and you can burn lots of calories. So if you've got a bit of timber on you, you know, I would suggest that running is something that you get into maybe you know three six months down the line. And just get that cardiovascular system going again because all you need is to find a decent hill, you know, don't carry ridiculous weight and just go just go yomping up and down hills. And you know, you're not high impact, you're not putting a lot of pressure on your knees, on your ankles, on your hips, on your joints. And trust me, if you try and speed march up a hill, it's barbaric. Um and it'll get the uh, it'll get your heart and lungs going and get the get the the you know the, the old fat burning cells go kicking in and you know you that that's the way to go and then you you go out there and you 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 find the community and I always say to people just go and have an adventure go go and see where it takes you if you go out with a social group and then you think oh I want to fancy a challenge there's plenty of other companies that offer great challenges uh and when you're ready you know I'll be ready for you um but make sure you're tasty because I am <laughs> and we just and we just go from there well, John, when people are ready, how should they get in contact with you? What's the best way of doing that? Um, so uh, on the website is where you can book, uh, look for and sort of understand the ethos of Robust Tours. Uh, and that's www.robusttours.co.uk. Um, Instagram, Facebook, Robust Tours. Uh, and then sort of uh, if you're more LinkedIn sort of person, uh, John Beamson on LinkedIn and uh if anyone's got any questions, I'm happy to chat. Fantastic. Well, I hope lots of people hear this and I hope lots of people get in touch because I think it's fantastic what you're doing. Brilliant. And I think it's a great way of staying fit. Absolutely. And uh, thanks very much for, for making the contact, Will, through LinkedIn. And, and, and I would always say to people as well, you know, um, you've just got to get out there and put yourself out there and uh, be open to, to chatting to people and, 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 and have that open-mindedness to listen to other points of view. And, uh, you know, that's the only way you can sort of develop as a person and, and, and make new opportunities. And don't hang around with people who think the same as you all the time as well, because that's never a good thing. Never a good thing. We should, you need to be able to talk about hungering and quartering, yeah. torture. <laughs> yeah. 
very important. Yeah, all, all the alley things. Yeah, no, you need to get all all, all the cop all the uh, topics need to be covered. Fantastic. Well, look, many, many thanks for your time, John. I really appreciate that. I thank you for your support on that. No, yeah, brilliant. No, no problem. Well, I look forward to uh, listening to it, and I'll uh, I'll make sure it goes out on my Instagram stories and across the other feeds when it's ready. Fantastic. Thanks very much, John. Cheers, Will. Cheers. Thanks very much. Now, bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.